Hello again and welcome to Enterprise Linux Security, this time episode 52, and we are recording this right before the entire world is taken over by AI robots because, you know, our overlords are coming. Actually not, but um, it's hard not to think about that when we're talking about artificial intelligence. How are you doing? Oh, good, Jay. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Um, yeah, AI seems to be the current buzzword. It it comes back every couple of years, right? Um, now we have ChatGPT, we have DALI, we have all the variants thereof, and it's producing somewhat amazing results. We'll get into that further down the episode. But um, yeah, there's something that's been around for a few years now as a buzzword. Uh, actually, Gartner added it to one of its categories in 2016, I believe, uh, which is AI Ops, which uh, AI DevOps or AI Ops, however you want to call it. Yeah, we'll be talking about uh, AI Ops today and how artificial intelligence might actually be useful when dealing with um, with day-to-day -day operations in IT. Um, artificial intelligence comes back every couple of years and um, sometimes with not as much success as others, but uh, every time there's a big advance in neural networks or genetic algorithms or something like that, there's this big wave of artificial intelligence solutions. Like it's going to be the next best thing, the, next best thing, the big solution to all the problems. And as is often the case, it's just a matter of managing expectations. It won't be the solution to all the problems, but it will help with some of them. Um, as we've seen in the past, there have been some situations where AI actually has been pretty useful. Um, we have seen studies, or there have been public studies, where it's shown that AI trained on medical imaging, for example, is actually better than doctors at spotting some types of, um, of issues. Um, again, very specific situations, it's not generic enough to be applied everywhere, but still useful in, in some situations. And in IT, we have a very big issue, especially in environments that start to, to grow a bit, where you're just flooded with logs. And that's where we enter the space of stuff like big data, another big buzzword there, um, but where AI actually excels at, um, at dealing with. So yeah, that's what we'll be covering on the episode today. Yep, I think the... Uh a good basis to start from is that as humans, we're imperfect. And even if we're, you know, someone's the best developer ever, they're still going to make mistakes. There's still going to be things that they missed. It's not like anyone intentionally, you know, is, is missing anything. It just kind of happens, unfortunately. And the one issue is that a lot of development teams are understaffed. Maybe they don't have enough people. They're working really hard as it is already. But then again, even if you had 100 developers on your team, there's still going to be mistakes made. And then um, that's when you start to consider tools that you can introduce into your tool chain that might hopefully catch something that someone might have missed. And then taking it to the next level um, with AI, all the things as it seems to be, then uh, do we consider that as something to help us catch issues before they go to production? Yeah, and, and even in production, um... I mean, we've talked about centralizing logs. We've talked about getting the logs from all of your services, all of your servers in a central location and storing those for a while. Um, 
but then it's just a huge amount of information. It's meaningless if you don't have the, the eyeballs to get on top of it. And even if you do have the eyeballs to do a pass of the data from the last, say, six months or so, you won't be able to keep up with the ones that is coming up right now, that is just being added right now if you're spending time looking at the, the older entries. So at some point, it's just too much data that you need to look at. So having an AI assistant there that can look at the data and find the outliers and flag them for you, that can be really helpful. Yeah, and so that brings us to the main topic, which um, is basically artificial intelligence for security. And that's basically what we're talking about. And as you mentioned, Gartner um, coined the term, I believe, and then now um, it's it's hard because we have all these different buzzwords and industry job titles and all these things. And it's hard to know which one to, to take seriously, right? Because it, there's just so many of these words, but regardless of what you call it, it's a thing and it exists. So. Yeah. Um, as we were talking before, start, before hitting the record button, um, I sometimes struggle at finding, I don't know, some serious meaning behind some of these titles. It's like when we discussed the, the titles for sysadmins these days, like site reliability engineer, like DevOps specialist. At the end of the day, if you boil it all down, it's just the same old, same old stuff that you always did as a sysadmin. It's just somebody stamped it with a new name and now, okay, now you're not a sysadmin, now you're a site reliability engineer. It doesn't really matter much if at the end of the day you did exactly the same thing that the sysadmin was doing before. Um, it's a new term, it's flashier, it's something like that. And in this case, and in, I don't know, you have DevOps, you have Sec DevOps, you have AI Ops, you have whatever Ops you want to call them. Um, at the end of the day, you want to add automation, you want to add security to your pipelines, and you want to make sure that stuff doesn't break and doesn't get hacked. Um, AI is just another tool, it's just another layer that you can add on top of all of that. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, in terms of the, you know, when it comes to the terms, you know, DevSecOps, I almost tripped on that one because there's so many of these. Um, I mean, the the idea being, you know, you have operations that's, you know, involved with security, but then I would argue that uh, sometimes silos are bad because I understand, you know, an accountant isn't going to be a sysadmin and a sysadmin is probably not doing sales. Everybody has their own role in a business to do the thing that they they know the best. But then when it comes to security, it's like, how about we just not put a name on it because that just makes people think that it's someone else's problem and then they may not notice a security issue. And I think security is paramount for everybody, regardless of who it is. I mean, from the jan janitor all the way up to the owner of the company. And um, But I mean, you, you do need security people overseeing some things, don't get me wrong. And that's a whole other topic altogether that I'll get off of. But then we get back to the whole point where it, it I just feel like it's like software development has just gotten to a point where it's literally impossible to think of everything that could go wrong. Um, I could argue that it may never have been possible, but now as we're adding more and more lines of code, we talk about the bill of materials and having libraries from other sources that are being pulled in that themselves could have a security risk that we may not know about, and we may not know what to test for. Companies get people in to do security audits. It's great but again we need we, we might just need something else to check our code and check what we're doing <laughs> i'll take whatever appears as, as helpful yeah um, <laughs> it's just too much it's 
too much code, it's too many vulnerabilities, it's too many logs, it's just too much. It's easy to be overwhelmed by all the information. Um, it's like trying to drink from <laughs> from the hose. It's You're never going to get it right. And the ones that slip by are the ones that are going to give you issues. Um, you might be doing a perfect job and still let something slip by. It's just humanly impossible to keep up. Um, so that's where something like AI might help. Uh, I mentioned logging. Uh, having centralized logs is great. It means that you only have one place to look at when you have problems rather than hunting down for specific logs in different systems when something breaks down. Um, and that's just one of the aspects where AI actually can help. We're talking about big data, we're talking about gigabytes and gigabytes of, of logs to go through in, a, I don't know, average size production infrastructure. Um, so this is exactly where AI excels. Stuff like neural networks that can be trained on sets of data can actually be trained on the standard log files that you receive, say, in a given day or a given week. And you can tell, um, you can tell it that, okay, these logs are normal, I've gone through them, I know there's no issue here, so learn what is usual to come up on the logs. And if you see something like this, don't flag it. So that when something different appears or when a new pattern emerges that it's not obvious, the AI tool will be able to, to spot it and be able to flag it. And that's really, really pretty helpful because it's going to reduce a lot the amount of information that you need to pay attention to. Again, on the other hand, it's not infallible, so something might slip by that isn't flagged, but if it flags you, I don't know, 90% of the cases or something like that, it's a big help and it's a big reduction in workload. I would even go as far as to say if there's a false positive, it's still okay, because I'd rather have a false positive than miss something. You know, if I have to double check something I don't need to double check, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind doing that in, in exchange for hopefully catching more things that I wouldn't have, ca have caught. Yeah, the, the issue there is false positives versus fa false negatives. Is when they tell you that there's nothing wrong and something actually is wrong there. Um, but still, reducing the, the amount of stuff that you would... You wouldn't otherwise be able to look at it all anyway, so you would probably still miss it, but... Catching some of the, the the issues rather than the noise that you would be looking at, that's really, really good. Um, and it will also help on something a bit different. Um, you usually mentioned that um, when you have systems that, um, that have baseline CPU usage and how malware tries to stay under, say, 50%, because that's a usual baseline for systems, um, this is also something that AI is pretty good at spotting, is the, the trends in CPU usage, in disk usage, in memory for consumption, for example. And they can actually spot this type of stuff without you having to specify a limit. So it will actually be able to learn what's normal for a given server or a given service. So you don't have to specify a baseline that applies, say, to all of your servers. If they are doing different things, they might have different baselines. You don't have to do that. The AI system would be good enough to, to actually learn by itself what's normal on a given system and alert you when it, when it gets out of those bounds. I think this is the beginning of a trend. I mean, that's probably obvious at this point, but I mean, 
we we talked about crowdsec on the show and i and that's not ai i'm not saying that it is but it you know it does keep track of uh you know things that happen in the industry that have been flagged and then anyone else who has crowdsec installed it looks at that and then we have solutions like this which are taking it to another level and then you know it, it's just going to you know go that direction because i think there's no other direction it can go because we've reached the limit as far as what human beings are able to notice themselves um, sometimes it takes another set of eyes to notice something. And if those eyes are a simulation <laughs> or running on a server, I guess, you know, we'll take all the help that we can get on that because we could really use it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, then the, the other, the other place where AI should actually excel, and I'm, I don't know if it does or not. I haven't looked at all of the solutions that uses AI ops and tries to implement this paradigm. Um, and aside here, AI Ops is more of an approach rather than a specific product or solution. Kind of like DevOps, it's an approach on how you do your operations rather than a specific set of solutions. There are lots of tools that can then be applied in this context, but you don't pull a package called AI Ops and deploy it to a server and now you have AI Ops. That's not how it works. It's a methodology, it's a way that programs get implemented, that software gets developed, and some software might fill some roles that can fit into the AI ops role. Um, so don't wait for an endorsement here on the on the show, on the on the podcast for a specific product or solution. That's not what we are discussing. No, we're we're letting people know what's out there. And if if there is a link, and I haven't decided yet decided yet, if there is a link in the description for this episode. Whatever we're linking to is not an endorsement. It's just letting you know that this is an example of something that exists. So don't start a free trial of anything, you know, that we might post because we have an article from Cisco. So it's not like we're recommending that. But um, it, it's an example of what's out there. And I think that's already a challenge because what do we endorse? Well, that's not what we're here for. So that's not going to happen. Um, I might go over a solution on the YouTube channel, but that's only if I find something that I actually use myself, which probably may not even happen, but we're not endorsing anything. But even worse is when you're looking for a solution, it's really hard to know. I mean, even if it's a solution for anything in IT, right? You just Google it and you find these fake comparison sites that are probably bankrolled by one of the solutions and it's hard to tell the difference. And you have all these sites that are promising 100% security, which is impossible. So I feel like this problem will, will more than likely happen with the AI ops type thing if it isn't already, where you have to really kind of look at this um, and, and just not go with the verbiage there, just look at the pros and cons, make the decision for you and your organization, whatever you guys agree on, and that's the direction you go. But yeah, we're not gonna probably endorse anything because it's security. Even if we did, I mean, what if we you know, recommend something that seems awesome and then it gets hijacked, you know, a week later. You never know. Yeah. Uh, the idea being here that by hearing us talk about it, you won't be surprised if you see it on a product description sheet somewhere so, and you'll know more or less what they are trying to convey when you read it. So, yeah, that's the that's the goal here. Um, as I was saying before, one of the places where this can actually excel is in SIEMs. The, um, when you have an intrusion detection system on your infrastructure, it will receive information from lots of different sources, from Event Viewer on Windows machines, from syslogs on Linux systems, from specific service logs. 
And one of the things that SIEMs do is let you try to find the, the root cause for an infection or an attack or something like that. So you have a system that you notice is somebody is trying to hack into. You look at the log and you see lots of anomalous messages there. The CM might flag the system and might flag the message. But you still have to run backwards and see if that uh, the source of the attack has tried to hit other systems and all of that. And this is another place where AI might, might actually be pretty helpful. Because not only will it help you pinpoint the, the other locations that might have been tried to to be breached, but also let you know of any previous anomalous behavior coming from, say, the same subnet where the attack is coming from, or related subnets, or give you further information about the, um, the DNS entries or something like that, directly into your dashboard for your CM. Um, so yeah, there are many, many different places where AI might actually be useful, from the simple fact alone that the amount of information is just way way too much for us to, to cope as, as humans and so right. yeah this is where where you're going to have AI shine really really bright I agree and correlation is very important that's why you know log, logging servers are great um, the, the good ones anyway because you could search for something and then everything that's being ingested you could find out you know where something started and, and what systems it touched because if someone or something does get into your network, what you need to know is what all did it have access to? What all did it touch? Even if it didn't have access to something, did it still get into it? And know what was touched, was which was not. And we are never going to be as fast as an automation on a server can be at comparing things. Because, you know, when it comes to us, I mean, we're going to look at a server, make a mental note of something, look at another server, then another one. It could take many hours for us to figure this out. But we could have help by something just kind of correlating, you know, this behavior here maps to this behavior over here. It, it first started, at, you know, XYZ started here. You could kind of trace where it went. And you could get that answer a lot quicker than you could if you're just relying on your memory as far as what's connected to what or looking at a network map, it's still not going to be as fast as one of these tools could be. Yeah, and this ties directly into how, for example, the, the neural networks work when they're trying to generate, say, an image or something like that. You feed it a, a keyword or a description and then it will try to create something based on what you wrote. This is the same thing, only it's based on the logs that it ingests and it will try to provide you with the whole with the whole chain of events that led to that. Um, it produces some really striking examples and, and there have been some really interesting pieces of art, if I may call it that, that have been AI generated. Um, on the other side of the, of the coin, on the flip side of that coin, is that, for example, ChatGPT, um, a text-based chatbot that's running on top of neural networks again, um, and it can answer questions that you phrase it. You phrase it in plain English and it will try to answer back in English as well, but it gives you the impression that it actually understands the context of what you're asking. Somebody should ask it what the answer to all things is and see if it comes back with 42. It probably has 42 or hard-coded there. Um, <laughs> but, um, but there is a, a pattern that you notice after trying to chat with it for a while, it, which is that sometimes the, the answers will appear to be grammatically perfect. It never misses a, a comma, it never misses a sentence. Um, it's completely well phrased, it's written in perfect English. 
but the answer is wrong. It's factually wrong. It will give you a, a very compelling story, but it will get the facts wrong. And that's something that annoys me a bit because people will try to promote it as being completely generic AI that's great at finding answers for everything. Um, and then you, it gives you obviously wrong answers. And sometimes it's not even obviously wrong answers because they are field specific. Say you ask him a question about physics and you're not a physics expert. You don't have the knowledge yourself to understand if the answer that you receive is correct or not. So you might be fed something that's complete crap and you'll take it as at face value and accept it as good. Um, there is that to consider on when using AI. I think a, a good but funny example of this, um, there's a website, thispersondoesnotexist.com, which is an AI, it shows you AI generated images of uh, face pictures that are actual people that do not exist as the website is. And, but a lot of them look very convincing, but you know, th these technologies are humorous when they're first learning because what they come back with is, is really funny, but someone came up with this cat does not exist.com, which is not nearly as accurate as this person does not exist.com. And you will see some really strange fails of AI on that site more often than the other one. But you can see how, you know, it takes time for, you know, these things to, to learn and, and whatnot, and they get better as they go. But there's also that aspect. If you're the first person to use an AI solution, maybe you're not really benefiting from as much if it's something that's been out for a long time. And it also speaks in favor of the, the human factor there. Um, for a few years now, you've been hearing how AI and automation is going to replace the majority of the workforce maybe not so quickly as, as it has been anticipated. Um, as long as you're still able to, to find mistakes like this that are context-specific, that you need to be an expert in to understand, you're going to need the experts there to analyze the answers. You cannot get rid of the human factor just because you have an AI solution. Um, and for a few years now, this has been... Something that's been in the back of some people's minds when they're talking about politics and all of that, about how the, the workforce would be completely changed and how AI would replace your jobs and all of that, specifically in IT, uh, developers and all of that. And we've seen some advances in that area with, uh, say, for example, GitHub's Copilot, which is another AI tool that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Um, but the promise is there, but it's not yet as concrete and as real as the, the AI advocates would, would want it to be. Yeah, I, I you know, that argument is, is just, um, it, it's just crazy to me because it seems like not always, but often, if you believe the opposite of what the analysts are saying, you're probably going to be right, at least in terms of trends, maybe not necessarily in security, but it's like, um, you know, netbooks are going to take over everything. Nope, <laughs> for example, but that's what the analyst said. So just always kind of take that with a grain of salt. But then just keep in mind that, um, at least in my opinion, will AI replace everything? No, because AI is not perfect. Automation is not perfect and we still need people. We're never going to stop needing people. So not about that it's about catching the things that we can't really catch ourselves it's about helping rather than replacing um 
but I just wanted to get that out there because it's an easy criticism of this type of solutions and whenever some tool like this comes out, oh yeah, it's great, but it makes mistakes like this. Yeah, it does. And you need to be prepared for it to make mistakes and you need to expect those mistakes. It's just a matter of also alleviating your workload while it's doing those mistakes and having somebody there that's able to catch them. Um, so again, not a replacement, but a help. I mentioned GitHub's Copilot. It's another AI tool, and it's basically a, a helper for your integrated development environment while you're coding. Um, you can type a comment that says, okay, I need the, to calculate, I don't know, the, the Fibonacci sequence element, so-and-so. And it will suggest the code to do that in whatever language you're coding, and that's amazing. The thing is, it has already been shown that it... <laughs> Because it has been trained on publicly available code, on public repositories on GitHub, there's a lot of good code there, but there's also a lot of bad code on GitHub. And because it has been trained on that dataset, it will provide you with insecure answers at best and sometimes even wrong answers. So you still need to pay attention to what you're accepting as good. That's not even getting into the, the lack of attribution problem, because if the question that you ask him is specific enough for it to only be present in one or two repositories, the solution that it, that it will suggest might be just be direct copy-paste from the original repository with no attribution. So that means that you might incur in problems with, say, copyright or um, license that the original code has that you are using and without complying with the terms of that license. Um, you really need to, to still pay attention to what the AI tool is doing. Uh, either that or we have to rename, rename it as uh, the automated uh, GNU license violator. <laughs> Automates GNU license violations. It, it's very effective. <laughs> it's incredibly effective. Um, I actually found a couple of examples where the source code... Uh, it was for something silly, a PowerShell script or something like that for a Windows machine where it would let me show what disk drives were plugged into a specific IDE controller or a specific SATA controller, so I would list them the disks per controller, kind of like a tree view. I needed that, I don't know for what, no, it was some time back. Um, and I had found a repository on GitHub that had code to do just that. I just didn't want to do it exactly the way that it was in that repository. So I was trying GitHub, uh, I was trying Copilot, I asked him, okay, how do I do this? And it suggested me line by line exactly what was on that repository. Yeah, and it was an eye-opener as well. Obviously, the the source code on the repository has a license, has an attribution that Copilot <laughs> forgot to mention. So I could have been fooled by it. I could have, I don't know, it wasn't something that I was going to use publicly, but for many developers, it's stuff that they're developing as a living. So they're just trying to code and code better, but um, you really need to know what you're doing and while it's a big help and it can try to, to get away the, the drudge work of implementing the simple stuff, for something more advanced, you really need to pay attention to what you're doing and you need to know what you're doing. And the same applies to AI ops. When you're using and you're when relying on a tool that says that it uses AI to do something, say to find outliers or to analyze logs, to look over 
performance metrics or something like that to find to find issues you need to be prepared to actually look at the the logs and interpret them and make sense of them it's not just blindingly accept whatever it's provided to you yeah i mean it's a tool right it it, it does a thing and uh it does a thing for you you know to help you not to replace you or whatever it is you're doing but you know like i was mentioning earlier we need another set of eyes and you know i don't care what kind of eyes, eyeballs those are, even if they're not actual eyeballs. As long as I, I know what I need to know, then, you know, that's that's what the benefit is. And that's something that we've discussed at length in the past, which is the, the lack of code review and the lack of people looking at the issues on open source. And that's an area where AI would surely help. And it would help a lot. Again, for finding the, the outliers, the stuff that's apparent and hasn't been caught because people aren't looking. Um, this is like having a million extra eyeballs at, uh, at your fingertips. Uh, it would be great if they could find at least those bugs because then you'd be able to fix them sooner. Um, but again, it doesn't take away the, the human element. It doesn't take away the need for somebody to actually validate that it's giving you the right information. And it will obviously still miss stuff. Um, like you mentioned before, there's no 100% foolproof solution for anything in IT, specifically security. Um, so don't expect AI ops to be the, the end-all solution for everything. Um, but it's pretty handy and I can actually see very specific uses where I could rely on tools that do this. One use case I could see being helpful for me is simply just scanning the internet and telling me if a library is trending, like a lot of people are talking about it all of a sudden when you know not as many people talk about it day to day, why is it trending? Just letting me know that it could be trending because a new version came, came out and that's okay because that's that happens. But um, any technology could be trending for the wrong reason. If it notices I'm using a library or something and that library is all of a sudden way more popular out on the internet for some reason, I could look and find out why it's more popular and if there's a CVE around it, then there you go. You know, I could easily find that out and, and that'll help people that may not be scanning the internet every hour of every day, but as soon as something starts trending, it's like, okay, why is that trending? And I am using it, so I need to know, is it just a new version that came out or is, are people talking about it because someone got owned? Well, I would be able to find out pretty easily in that case. Yeah, a sort of early warning system. It would really be good. I don't know if you noticed this, but all of the, the tools that are publicly available, again, ChatGPT, um, DALI, the, the variants of DALI, they all do something that that's interesting after you notice it. If you look at the description, they will always say that they are not directly connected to the internet. Now, I don't know if it's because the developers behind them read too much sci-fi and were afraid to create the next Cyberdyne systems or something like that. Um, or if they just don't want to mess up the training data for those for those neural networks with obviously biased information on the internet. We all know it's like that. Um, but there is that restriction there. So having something like you mentioned, scanning the internet, that would probably be novel. That would probably be something new that, that hasn't been done before. 
No, I mean, I think it's I think it's necessary because we need to know what's trending. And, you know, I could even go as far as to say, like, if a technology is trending, maybe I should just cover it in a YouTube video because I know what's trending based on AI. But I actually prefer to get that from the, the audience. So I'll never do that. But there's so many use cases for this, but it, it is it's easy to come up with an idea, but someone has to write the code, someone has to train it, know that the information coming out of it is generally useful more often than it's not, and have that filter there because we, we need that to, to know that it's useful because it's always easy to come up with an idea. It's really hard to, to actually make it a thing. <laughs> you know, actually right now you can ask GitHub's Copilot to write the code for that and you just need the idea. Well, maybe I should just have uh, GitHub Copilot and just say, hey, write me a piece of software that does this. And every time I want to add a new feature, I'll just talk it to my phone and be like, yeah, just add the feature. And, <laughs> and then an app comes out and I download it and install it. I mean, that 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 could happen. But um, that- you're, you're joking. You're joking. But if you can be specific enough about your request and if you can part it down in manageable chunks, you might get something out of GitHub's Copilot. I think I think you I think you absolutely can because yeah I'm joking but I know it's possible now because I mean that's just how it goes but it, it's going to be interesting because what I'm hoping doesn't happen and and it probably will but I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong this time where you know we have all these AI tools that find all these bugs and that's great but then you know threat actors have their AI that that's going through and then we have our AI versus their AI and then it's the AI wars and um, you never know and I think that'll probably happen because you know if we can find things with AI then so can threat actors right I mean it's interesting that you mentioned that because I would almost forget that um, remember phishing emails one of the ways that you would spot a phishing email is because it would have blatant mistakes it had been written by somebody that has no experience writing english or whatever language they're trying to fish in um you can actually ask chat gpt to for a, a perfectly phrased email and it will come back with that said email so you just have to copy paste it into your phishing campaign um and then you won't be able to spot it by the mistakes. ChatGPT gives no mistakes, makes no mistakes, no grammar mistakes. So the text will be perfect and you won't be able to spot that it's phishing just from that. That would used to be a, a big telltale about these types of emails. And now if the, the attackers are halfway decent, they will run it through, through ChatGPT first. Well, maybe I'll start getting less spam in my email because someone will write a tool for salespeople. Oh, Jay never buys anything off of email, so don't bother sending him anything. That's just a waste of CPU cycle. These people, they buy things from the internet. Um, I mean, I can go on. I'm, I'm here all day. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm joking, but also anything I could think of, someone else probably already has. But this is the way things are going, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and what form it takes, actually. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to to see the the different ways that it can be leveraged. Um, The ones that we mentioned here are just the obvious of reducing the workload, of funneling the data, the amount of data and the amount of stuff that you need to look at. And that's already incredible. Um, If you've spent any amount of time doing operations, doing logs, doing security reviews all of that type of thing it's always the data that gets you it's just too much stuff to look at Um, a way to leverage that and to leverage ai to reduce that amount of data that's amazing in itself so that's already a pretty good solution there Um, but all the different ways that uh, that ai can change the the playing field in it uh, whether by 
detecting a problem and finding a way to implement a solution by itself. Say, I don't know, having access to CV information and seeing that there's a patch available and immediately deploying the patch to your systems and just notifying you, okay, this vulnerability came up and I've found the patch, deployed it, and now your systems are already secured. That's interesting, actually. And if things move in that direction, I wouldn't be too surprised. Or even just catching a migration that might go wrong because there's a, you know, a known issue with data transfer, or maybe the solution that you're building or something that generally goes wrong with an application that you might run into because, I mean, sysadmins will, will you know, they've been doing this for a while, know how annoying it is when you have to roll everything back because of an unforeseen change, even after you've rehearsed it like a bunch of times. But when you go to do it in production, that's the one time that something different happens. Um, there's all kinds of use cases that could probably help us, but we'll still have people on the other side because, you know, you, you can't have an automated wrench at a car mechanic that's going to fix cars for you. I mean, you have to have someone holding the wrench and using the right tool and knowing what to do. And, and just like, with us, the you know we're the stewards of this. We're using it. We're benefiting from it, and um, I, I think it's more like a you know symbiotic relationship that'll just keep going. And I think that's at the core of it, which to me means that we can only benefit. Yeah, um, and I expect it to be to remain that way for a few years down the line. It's not going to happen overnight. That it's going to evolve so fast that it replaces everything. Um, even if some people have already predicted to happen. Uh, but uh, I really, really doubt that it's going to happen that quickly. It um, can't. No, it won't. Um, and a perfect example of this is I remember, I think it was like 2012, 2011, I was doing a project for a, a mental health place and they wanted uh, the doctors to have dictation software. So the higher-ups uh, bought Dragon Naturally Speaking back then. Um, we put it on every computer and literally everyone just stopped using it because it just was not accurate at all. And they they spent more time retraining it themselves, fixing their own issue or their own, uh, its issues, I should say. And then, but now we have the automated assistants on our phones and everything that are better than Dragon Naturally Speaking was that you had to license by itself as an expensive software back then. Now it's something everybody has in their phone, you know, here 10 years later, it's actually usable, but it took that amount of time going from like, it's just annoying to use to it's actually somewhat helpful now. And I think that's kind of how this will go too, because we're going to have so many false positives to iron out while these things are being developed. And that's going to be like the full-time job is just finding those and training it until it, it itself becomes usable. So that's going to be a while. I agree. And Dragon was incredibly expensive, right? Oh my God. And the, the RAM requirements and everything, because it's just like we had to buy, you know, Dell Latitude laptops, which is very common in the enterprise. We had to buy like decent ones back then to, to, you know, have the horsepower to run this just for people to stop using it because it wasn't accurate enough. And that, that's how it goes when we come out with technology. It's great in theory, but in practice, it just falls flat until it doesn't. Yeah, we're we're riding the, the hype here on, on AIOps. Um, at some point, we're going to have to adjust the expectations of what comes out of it. But something does come out of it and something will come out of it. And I really can't wait to see what it is and what we actually end up with that's usable and helpful and probably great tools to add to our, to our inventories. All I ask is that I'm able to pick up my mouse and talk into it like Scotty did in Star Trek IV. Computer! Computer! <laughs> 
<laughs> if I could do that, now that's everything to me right there. That's come my whole life coming full circle from seeing it on Star Trek. So that'll be my moment. And see how great that assistant was back then? It caught uh, Scotty's accent. <laughs> it's tricky even for today for Siri to pick it up uh, as, a, as a thick Scottish accent. Oh, yeah. And, and for those that are not in the know, I, my first movie I've ever seen in my life was Star Trek Four, And that was a scene in Star Trek Four. That was fun. So go watch that movie. It's a classic. Now, maybe not the best Star Trek movie. I'm just, just going to mention that. But it's still, it's Star Trek. Come on. Anyway, we <laughs> could talk about that all day, but I probably shouldn't unless I start a sci-fi podcast, which I probably won't do. If you need a hand, let me know. Let me know. <laughs> okay, I think we're getting off track here. We already covered what we wanted to cover. And again, it was a, a pleasure. So thanks everybody for joining and listening in. And until the next one. Thanks everybody. Bye.